Welcome, welcome to Freaked Out with your co-hosts, Liz and Landon. What's up, everybody? Today, we will be covering part two of Crystal Rogers. I know we had planned to make this one exclusive, but it didn't turn out that way. But that's okay. We have many others that will be covered under the exclusive side of the podcast. Great news about this case is when we come back to it later on, Liz gets more detail as time progresses. Things will make more sense. Some things that Crystal was trying to tell her previously may have finally clicked in now. And we're going to go through all of the little things as well. So we're going to start off where we finished in the last episode. Let's give a couple of updates on what I'm feeling already. Now, as I was talking to Crystal, I was able to determine that she kept saying trunk over and over again. And I only assumed that she was referring to her being inside of the trunk of the car, which she was, but she was also placed in a trunk. And that's what she was trying to tell me. They did not want anyone to find out it was her. So they decapitated her and they also removed her fingers and toes. The last episode, you mentioned that she was placed in some sort of incinerator and I may have suggested that it could have potentially been in that garage. Absolutely. And from what Crystal tells me, it was definitely that garage. And also, they just removed anything that they could to really identify her. I also feel like the trunk may have been from the grandmother's house. I really significantly feel like the trunk's been around for years, from the 1940s. It's pretty old. And I do feel like when it's found, it could potentially be identified as the grandmother's. You were also unsure where she was killed. Does she have any information on that? It was definitely at the parents' farm in the back lot of the woods. That is where she was not only killed, but decapitated, and obviously her fingers and toes were removed as well. And I'm not sure if she had any tattoos or marks on her body, but if she did, I'm seeing some pretty gruesome images of a tattoo being removed as well. Now, do the parents know anything? Absolutely. They are extremely tight-lipped over there, and from what I can see, they protect their own. And it doesn't matter what their children do, they are good in their eyes. So they just pretend that nothing bad is going on, although they didn't necessarily have a direct involvement. They definitely heard screaming and fighting and gunshots, and of course, they are withholding a lot of information, including their own conversation with Crystal beforehand. They are also the type of people that would push their beliefs onto others. And if you don't really accept or believe yourself, they automatically didn't like you. Since they didn't really care too much for her, I'm being told to say that they really had no regard for her life. They only cared about their own child and grandchild. We had also talked about Tommy knowing this third person involved. Do we have any more information on that? Even in the afterlife, Tommy still wants her case solved. His energy is so kind and genuine, and anyone who is willing to help him is okay in his book, so it's easier to communicate with him. He doesn't really care too much about his own passing. He is solely fixated on hers. He shows me that this Ted guy we talked about last time and Tommy had broke bread together. The two of them had conversation, and this person was even in his house a few times. They didn't necessarily have a close relationship, but from what Tommy showed me, this man became extremely suspicious because Tommy had gone to him just a few days prior. 
definitely a church-going man, someone who had his hand in everyone's pocket. He was friends with the police force. He was friends with the government officials. He also had a lot of connection with people that just knew how to do things. For instance, embalmers, funeral directors. He could pretty much make anyone disappear. So this person who used all of his connections to hide exactly what? From what I gather, I think he gets a very nice paycheck when it comes to hiding drugs, when it comes to a prostitution ring, and even with counterfeit money. Dude had his hand in just about everything in Kentucky and this particular area in general. Now, he does get paid a lot of money, and I do see he gets paid to like an offshore account as well, just to make sure that nobody knows where this money is going. I feel like Crystal said some things in front of this man that also made him extremely suspicious as well. And I feel like Brooks may have been told to kill her. I know she overheard some things and this guy is extremely paranoid. Even when Tommy came to talk to this guy, he was again worried that Tommy knew something and that he was destined to kill him. I would say that Tommy had seen him about two days prior to him being killed. It only took him 48 hours to get this all arranged. I also see he was snorting coke quite a bit, and I think that may have also had some association to his paranoia. I'm also being told that he has three children. Two of them are boys, one girl. He has a terrible relationship with his kids, even though I feel like the kids are much older now. I don't see that he really talks to his kids much. He gives them money. They keep everything quiet. I feel like this man has a wife and she also keeps things quiet, but I think she's been quiet because she doesn't want to get killed. You had mentioned that there were a few inmates that may know more things. Do you think any of these inmates will ever come forward? Everybody is afraid of this guy and everyone that's afraid of him keeps their mouth shut. I wish I could describe him to you guys. The only thing I can see that's pretty distinctive is that he did dress really nicely I see that he is like a, a mushroom cut. I even think he still has a mushroom cut, but he also is very sickly. He's much thinner now. I would say he has quite a few liver spots, but I think that's all based around the drugs that he took. I don't necessarily feel like he's involved too much into the drug side of things at this point, but he does, you know, protect drug stuff and also the counterfeit side of things as well. I don't believe he has any sort of involvement with prostitutions anymore. You would also mention something to me earlier about DNA. What were you going to say about that? Well, I see that they got Crystal's car and Brooks and Nick's grandmother's car. And I do feel like there were some pieces of evidence that were tampered with. There are a few people that were working on the force with Nick, and I feel like they made the evidence disappear, including blood and DNA samples that would prove Crystal's body was in the trunk of that car. Well, this goes pretty deep. Who can you really trust in this case? I would say that there's at least six or seven people that know things about it and above and beyond Brooks, Nick, and this Ted guy. So this goes pretty deep. When it comes to Tommy's murder, who do you believe shot him? Without a doubt, I feel like it was Nick. I keep seeing that Brooks was in the getaway car. I keep seeing that this head guy was also involved, but I don't feel like he was at the property. Perhaps he was on the phone. I would say that as soon as Nick shot him, they were gone as quickly as they came. 
Nick had some pretty good skills when it came to using weapons, especially shotguns and any sort of guns along those lines. Another very weird detail is that I feel like this Ted guy found out later that Tommy actually didn't know. I think he got confirmation about it later. I'm not entirely sure. Within 24 hours after Tommy had died. But I feel like they would have killed him anyways because he was eventually going to get too close. Does Tommy have any evidence in that box that ties this Ted person? Yeah, sadly, because it wasn't all organized. He just wrote it on a very small piece of paper. I would say it's only a paragraph, if that, but it's in there. He conversed with this particular individual on multiple occasions, but only wrote about him for one paragraph. Did Tommy have any inkling that this was coming? Tommy had seen some light right before he was killed, but he ignored it and just assumed somebody had made a wrong turn somewhere. He definitely felt like he was on the radar, perhaps not this particular day, but he felt like something was going to happen to him and he continued to carry on anyway. I want to move on to the police officer, Jason Ellis. On May 25th, 2013, Jason had completed an arrest of an unidentified individual who he had brought to Bardstown Jail. He signed off for the night and was heading home when Jason approached exit 34 ramp on the Bluegrass Parkway. He noticed several branches on the road, preventing him from driving. He moved his patrol car to prevent others from driving over the ramp exit, and he got out of his patrol car and put his lights on. While moving the branches, Officer Jason Ellis would be shot multiple times by a 12-gauge gun. It was also later revealed by police that the shooter was likely on the hill. A few moments after this took place, two passerbyers would stop, a woman and a man, who had parked behind this woman. Jason's patrol car, the man Chad, exited his vehicle and noticed Jason laying on the ground. He informed the unidentified woman about what he saw, and she called for help from Jason's patrol car. Jason would be pronounced dead on the scene. No suspects had even been publicly named ever. I find it interesting that we're posting this episode during Memorial Weekend, and he was killed on Memorial Day weekend. Nothing ever is a coincidence. I never plan it that way either. That's just always something that kind of happens. It's a greater calling for sure. So what do you feel on this situation? I don't have a lot of details from Jason specifically, but I have a couple of details from Tommy and also Crystal. This particular individual, Ted, he really had a hard time sometimes trying to get cops to become dirty because Jason was a really good cop and good at his job and was trying to take down people that Ted was trying to assist and he was getting some angry backlash. And from what I can see, Jason was not in any respect a dirty cop, but perhaps they were kind of testing him and they wanted to see if he could be swindled somehow. I'm not entirely sure of all the details, but perhaps another day I'll be able to get those details in a bigger way. Either way, he was killed by Nick again. Nick, again, is a really good shot, and because he did a good job with Tommy's killing, I feel like he and Brooks and potentially a few others were worried that Jason was going to spill the beans about something pretty significant. I even feel like Jason had made a suggestion to another cop about doing the right thing. And I feel like he may have mentioned something surrounding Crystal Rogers' death at the time. There's a lot here in connection, and one day I'm hoping to figure all that out. But as of right now, they are all connected. I do not feel like Brooks was the one who killed him at all. I feel like this was all done by Nick. 
I also feel like Nick didn't want to do this, honestly. But I feel like because of what happened with Crystal and Tommy, I feel like he was really forced into it and really had no choice. I also feel like it was a setup. Oh yeah, absolutely a setup. Somebody with access to the radio so that they can know exactly when Jason was off duty. Someone knew his schedule. Somebody knew that he would be taking that route home. I would say that this hit also came fairly quickly. I don't feel like it was more than a week, if that. I feel like when they heard that he was off his shift is when they put that debris there. I feel like they were sitting there for a few hours waiting and collecting the debris so that they could have a clear shot where they wanted him to be. I feel like they set this up and were out there for, I don't know, six hours before he ended up getting off from work just to make sure that everything was planned perfectly. These are some pretty sick individuals. Jason also worked with Nick, and I really feel like he was a huge piece of that pie, but obviously no longer worked for the force at the time. There were also a couple other people that were attached to Nick as well. They were all friends with him, and I feel like they gave him information about Jason. They knew his schedule. They knew where he lived. Now, this guy was on the force for about five years after Jason's death, and I know he had a hand in the situation, I feel like he's scared to open his mouth even now because he's afraid that he will have the same fate that Jason did. I even feel like this person was threatened to keep his mouth shut. Maybe a threat towards a family or something along those lines, but it's pretty significant. So everyone is scared to come forward because this person has a lot of control and a lot of power. Yeah, and it makes me a little uncomfortable to talk about it too, but someone's got to. And who knows? I'm going to say my prediction on this. I feel like someone else may end up losing their life as well, but they won't necessarily be connected to these cases, but maybe Ted. It's uh, pretty terrible. Jason Ellis just wanted to go to work, do his own thing. He was a practical jokester, and he also had a canine for the police force. He had his own canine, but he did not have this canine with him at the time because his vehicle that carries his canine was in the shop and the vehicle he had at the time during his murder was not equipped for his dog. He loved his wife and his two kids and his two kids were everything to him and he was a good guy. Overall, he did the right thing because he always did the right thing. This completely unfortunate situation happened. Hopefully one day I'll be able to talk to him further. Jason was a pretty successful police officer with his canine when it came to taking down the drug ring, and he was able to successfully obtain a lot of drugs. That would automatically go against Ted's personal agenda. And of course, because he's really good at his job, making this thing safer, his dog making things safer, I know that they would have killed his dog if he was there with him. They were prepared for that, and I don't think that they even knew that the dog wasn't with him. Everybody loved Jason, including people that he even arrested because he was a good guy. It's a shame that we lost a good cop. There is far and few between in the police force. But it makes sense that you feel like Nick was the culprit because Tommy's death was very similar to Jason's. I also feel like Nick and Jason had a few words a bit after Nick lost his job. Maybe called him out on something because I feel like Jason was really not afraid to go against the bad guys. In fact, anyone who is fearless is usually the person that gets killed in this situation. Well, let's talk about the last set of murders, Kathy and Samantha Netherlands. On the morning of April 22nd, 2014, 
A Tuesday, both Kathy and Samantha failed to show up to school. Their absent was noted, and it wasn't until their two schools, Bardstown Elementary and Bardstown High School, began to communicate with each other. They honestly thought it was very odd and pointed it out. Samantha was a very punctual student, but Kathy in particular was never even late without a phone call. For her to be absent entirely without any notice, something had to be wrong. School officials began reaching out to the Netherlands' loved ones, eventually making contact with Kathy's father, Samantha's grandfather, Norris Harden. He was then asked to check in on them and make sure that everything was all right. Norris stopped by the Netherlands' home at 5120 Springfield Road, just outside of Bardstown in a small suburb named Boltlin. When he pulled up, he noticed that Kathy's car was still in the driveway, indicating that they both must still be inside. Norris made the decision to enter the home and inside he found the bodies of Kathy and Samantha who had been brutally murdered for unknown reasons. Stepping outwards, he phoned the police and soon word began to spread throughout the entire town. Stacy Hibbard, Kathy's sister, arrived to the scene a short time later. When she got to the Netherlands home, she found that there were cop cars lining the streets. The police had wrapped tape around the entire crime scene, which now encompassed the entire house. The investigation into the murders was overseen by Kentucky State Police, same organization that was involved in Jason Ellis's death for the past 11 months. So definitely some corrupted cops there. Pretty much. Now right off the hop, police believe that the crime had been unfolded around sunset the day in question, April 21st, 2014. That estimated the murder around 8 p.m. on that Monday. The death certificates for both Kathy and Samantha were released approximately two months after the murders and revealed that the two had been victims of a horrific attack. 48-year-old Kathy had been shot multiple times, although police would never release the exact extent of the gunshots or the type of gun or ammunition that was used that remains confidential. However, the death certificate does reveal that Kathy had a deep cut on her neck, indicating that there was an assault that had taken place. Meanwhile, 16-year-old Samantha seemed to have been the primary target for this unknown subject's aggression. Prior to her death, she had been beaten severely and had suffered serious wounds on her head, and her cause of death seemed to be a significant slash to her neck. It was believed that the mother and daughter had been in separate rooms when they were attacked and murdered, indicating that there had to be multiple attackers because each crime was so violent it seemed impossible for one culprit to be behind both murders. As for a motive, investigators were stumped. Nothing of value seemed to be missing from the home, at least nothing of importance. No prescription drugs, jewelry, electronics were noted to be missing. That means one of two things. It was either personal or they ran out of time with the overkill. The lead detectives believe that these two were definitely personally killed. Detectives also theorized that the crime had unfolded over a very short period of time, just 10 minutes. So the killer or killers had likely planned it out ahead of time, arriving to the scene, doing the deed, and then leaving immediately. These deaths remind me of the Ketty Cabin murders, gruesome in the same sense. It was said that there was vehicles that were seen leaving the area around the time that they believe the murders took place. This vehicle was one of three caught by witnesses and security cameras heading north towards Bardstown from Boltlin, the small suburb that Kathy and Samantha had lived in. However, one of these three vehicles, only one would remain unidentified in the following months. 
The vehicle was a newer vehicle. It was a 2006 to 2013 model black Chevy Impala. The vehicle had been caught on security cameras leaving the area shortly after 8 p.m. when police believed the unknown killer killers had struck. The vehicles had only been spotted by witnesses that lived in the neighborhood of the crime scene. A couple of images of this car would be circulating in the press. Shots taken from the nearby convenience store security camera. Jeff Gregory, a Kentucky State Police trooper, revealed that the police were not able to make out the vehicle's license plate due to the angle that it was driving and the extent of the security cameras. However, he was able to reveal some information about the black Chevy Impala and what could this mean for the investigation. How convenient they weren't able to get the license plate. Maybe someone removed the video or at least cut the clear image of the license plate. That is very possible. Do you feel like this case was connected to the Crystal Rogers case and everyone else's? I know that they were not significantly connected to Crystal Rogers or her father or even Jason. I do, however, feel like these people are part of this gang, definitely drug related. I feel like they worked for Ted. Now, I don't believe that they knew him personally or had any sort of relationship, but on the scale of bad guys, they were the ones that were front and center and do all of the dirty work for other people behind the scene. So the foot soldiers. So these two women were just killed for what reason? Their mouths definitely got them in trouble. Not only were they already calling them out for all their drug-related ventures around the area, But they were also making threats that they were going to call the police, FBI even. I even feel like they may have even made calls to the police, but perhaps they were ignored. Which makes sense with what the oldest daughter had suggested. I'll tell you something. I plan to cover this particular case at some point once we transition over to the YouTube side of things. But there is a lot more to this story, and we don't have the time to cover it. But I can assure you of this. There were about five assailants in this situation, and I know that they think they had this all planned out over time. It kind of was, but I believe that the girls got threats about them coming. Uh, But I feel like it was more so just to make them stop doing this. So what changed? Samantha came head to head with the wrong person and I also feel like this was planned within like a 72 hour time frame. They were planning to take these two women out. I am seeing that the informant from the Crystal Rogers case, the one that was in jail that had said no comment about him being there, in fact was there. He was there and I feel like he was part of the gang. I also feel like he had a conscience, which is why he ended up coming forward and talking about it. But I know he's keeping his identity closed because he's afraid that he'll also get murdered. But then again, I feel like it'll be very easy for them to figure it out who it was, as there are a few of them in jail. But I feel like the gang, if they really wanted to figure it out, they could easily figure it out. And they would definitely kill him. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like it's nothing. Are there any other murders that are attached to this? I think there are, but I feel like I have to investigate more. I think that's something for another day. But I think that's all I got for you guys today. You did provide quite a bit, considering that we're talking about five deaths here. I know. A lot of people involved in so many different ways. Incredibly draining. So many people out here know things, too, and and are so scared to come forward. I think that if people are afraid to come forward, honestly, try going the anonymous route. I think that that would probably be a start. Then you can at least feel a little bit better about it and also be able to maybe lead them in the right direction. 
Well, we will be dropping one more episode for the month of May on Wednesday, May 31st. We will be dropping one more exclusive episode for Eileen, which will be Eileen Part 3. We will also be dropping only two days later our first episode for June, which will be for Pride Month. Yay! This is going to be a very uh, triggersome month, in my opinion, for personal reasons, which you'll all know about later. We will be covering the case of Martha P. Johnson. That will be on our exclusive side. And for those of you who aren't on our Facebook group, I highly recommend joining us there so you can get all of the up-to-date information on all the episodes that we do plan to cover for the entire month. And also, we are working on episodes for July. Yes, we just need to get us to 8,000 subscribers on the Facebook group so that we can get this Harmony Montgomery episode and win it. We currently have 6,300. We only need 1,700 more, and that is it. So everyone else, come and join us. I assured you, you'll be satisfied. Let's not forget the patron side. We currently have a bonus episode, and once we get to 1,200 patrons, we will be doing the episode for Twitch. Yes, and Stacy Peterson. Once we are able to obtain 3,000 downloads, which are, in people's eyes, listens, <laughs> we'll be able to win this episode as well. By the way, guys... Normally, we have about 2,000 downloads a week, so we only need 1,000 more and we'll be able to win this. And as we win these bonuses, they will be replaced with other bonuses. Until next time, guys, stay freaked out.